Hello and welcome to Chairside, conversations about careers in dentistry. This podcast series from the British Dental Association and sponsored by BDJ Jobs explores the unlimited, unexpected, and maybe even unknown opportunities that qualifying as a dentist opens up to you. I'm Andrea Ogden, a general dental practitioner and the BDA's undergraduate and career development lead. In each episode, I'll be joined by dental professionals who discuss their journey and the path they took that changed the course of their career. Today's episode is about vocational and foundation training. If you're a dental graduate in the UK and you envisage a future working within the NHS, then first you have to complete your foundation or vocational training. But as with everything, it's not quite as straightforward as that. There are numerous schemes to choose from, and depending on where you go, the experience can vary. But how significant are those differences? Does it have an impact on things like the amount of support you receive? What process should you go through in choosing the area which you want to work? And most of all, how big is that leap between leaving dental school and stepping into the real world as a foundation or vocational trainee? These are just some of the questions I'm discussing with my guests today, and they've all undertaken different training courses and are more than happy to open up and discuss them with us. So thank you for joining us and welcome to Afreen Rahman, Lucy Alderson and Megan Shankland. Afreen graduated from King's College London in 2019 and went to work in a family practice in Edmonton as part of the North London DFT scheme. And she now splits her time as an associate between the same practice and another in East London. So welcome, Afreen. Hello, thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you with us. Lucy also graduated from King's in 2019 and is now in her second year of the Yorkshire and Humber Deaneries Longitudinal Scheme. So welcome, Lucy. Hi, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. It's lovely to have you with us. And Megan graduated from Glasgow in 2018 and completed her vocational training in Inverness and is now a dental core trainee in Edinburgh. So welcome, Megan. Hello, thanks for having me. Thank you all so much for joining us. I do find that from my own experience of meeting with students that this is a topic that comes up time and time again, and for good reason. Um, because applying for further training can be a very daunting process and can feel like it's a complete minefield. And there are just so many different deaneries and schemes to choose from. So where do you start? Um, So shedding some light on it all is exactly what we need. Afrina, I'll start with you. Like all trainees who are applying for posts in England, Northern Ireland and Wales, you went through the national recruitment process and you got a job on the North London scheme, which was your first choice. But it's not the scheme you were actually offered. So what happened there and how did you get onto your preferred scheme? So, um, yeah, basically, as Edmonton, the practice that I did my training at was on the North London scheme. I grew up in North London, so I was really familiar with the area. I, it's essentially why it was my first choice. Um, and I was really quite happy to work anywhere within that space. Um, so we did our national recruitment, which involved ranking all of the schemes. And we, I'm not sure if it's different now, but at least for our year, we found out our schemes before we knew where we were ranked. 
and um, like what specific kind of ranking we got, how we did at the interviews. And I originally got the South East London, which was my second choice. So I was really happy with that. But you do have the offer when you get your uh, schemes offered, you have the option to accept it or accept it with an upgrade. So I accepted it with an upgrade, which meant if there was a spot available in one of my higher ranked schemes, I would get that scheme. Right. That's interesting. So there is that opportunity to still end up in the place that you want, even if it's not your first offer by choosing an upgrade. Did it really matter to you if you hadn't got on the North London scheme, if you'd ended up on that one that you were originally given, or was it an absolute, like you had to have the North London scheme? So I was really happy. Like when I found out what scheme I got, I was really happy because I was staying in London and that was really important to me. Um, But as I said, like the North London scheme, it was what I really wanted. Um, It was near home. It was near where I grew up. And um, yeah, so the idea of being able to accept with an upgrade, I was very happy to be anywhere on that North London scheme. And I think that's something just to be to bear in mind that upgrading can be a really great thing because you can get a scheme you want, but you are likely to be the lowest ranked person in that scheme because you will only get it if someone else in the scheme that obviously ranked above you said that they didn't want it. So that's just the risk that you have to be aware of. Yeah, that's true. And I think it's a really good idea if you can to find out how the scheme you'd like to be upgraded to allocates the trainees to their practices. Because certainly from my time as a TPD, it was very clear that some deaneries rely very heavily on the national ranking number to allocate trainees to practices within the various schemes, whereas others don't use it at all. So I think if you've got an opportunity to find that out and to do your homework, obviously that's gonna be beneficial. Lucy, you also went through the national recruitment process and you got a place on one of the two longitudinal schemes. And quite luckily, both your hospital job and practice are in Leeds. How did you find out about the longitudinal schemes and how do they differ from the one year foundation training that Afreen completed? Uh, Yeah, so I first found out about the longitudinal scheme actually from reading the BDJ student magazine. Um, As Afreen will know, Qualifying in London is quite a London-centric bubble. Um, So we didn't hear too much about the two-year scheme. Um, But having read about it in the magazine, I just thought it sounded really interesting. It was up near my hometown, so nice to be near family. Um, So I wanted to go back to Yorkshire after six years in London. Um, And then it's slightly different to the one Afreen did in that it's obviously stretched over two years. Um, So you do a core training component and also a foundation training component. Um, which was perfect for me because I wanted to do DCT at some point, but I just didn't really want to de-skill and lose the skills that I'd learned as a dentist in my final year and in the foundation training. I didn't want to lose all that going into hospital training as well. Sure. So your practice time is the same as anyone else that's doing foundation training, but what sort of work were you doing in hospital? Um, So we've exclusively been doing MaxVacs which is quite a baptism by fire um, when you come out of uh, dental school and then go straight to hospital like that. Um, I didn't particularly want to do MaxVax, it just came with the job, um, but it's been a real eye-opening experience anyway. Um, I 
did read somewhere that Leeds did peds and restorative. So I was quite keen to do that as well. Um, but they seem to change up the schemes quite often and they always keep it fresh. So the year below me, they do have a little bit of exposure to restorative. But for me, it's mostly just Max Vax and a tiny bit of community, but that was uh, postponed due to COVID. Sure. So if you, I mean, the fact that you said that they were, you thought maybe there'd be a bit more variety, but for you, it's just been Max Vax. If you were looking to do that, uh, do the longitudinal scheme, is there any way that you can find out about that? Or is it really kind of luck of the draw, what the system is on the year that, that you start? Um, I know that the deanery has been working quite hard on developing a new website and more information. So I think that should be more accessible now than it was when we did it. Great. Megan, you completed your vocational training in Inverness. In terms of your preferences, was Inverness your first choice? Uh, No, it actually wasn't my first choice. Um, I'm from Glasgow and I'd studied in Glasgow, so I was very keen to stay in the Glasgow area. I think everyone's always keen to do that after uni and they've got their heart set on something. So I unfortunately didn't get my kind of job in the first round of interviews. So I went through clearing and I got a job in Inverness. So it ended up being a great job. I loved it. Um, It was really, really good. Lots of exposure um, to different aspects that I would maybe get in Glasgow. Um, But definitely worked out in the well and I worked out for the best. Sorry, and I had a really good year. Oh, that's super. I mean, so the when you said like the first round, I mean, obviously the, uh, I suppose some people won't know that the Scottish system in terms of application process is different to yeah. the rest of the UK. So you had a ranking system, but that's not the same as the one that Afreen and Lucy went through. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So in Scotland, we still do face-to-face interviews. So you have a two-week period after you finish your final exams in fifth year, before graduating that you go out and everybody just interviews the whole Scotland basically it's quite stressful you drive around and you just try and get as many interviews as you can um so it's a quite intense two-week period and you have to come out a lot, a lot of time to it really then after that you rank 10 practices and trainers rank 10 um, students basically VTs and from there there's an algorithm that matches up um, and then you get paired off and in my case unfortunately it wasn't successful and similar to uh, other aspects you get clearing so then it goes again and you can have a more face-to-face interviews to be clearing to decide if you get a job. Right but I suppose the main thing is is that you got a job and actually yeah. that job worked out really so- well for you. Yeah, definitely. In the end, it worked out. It worked out great. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Lucy, I know that um, regardless of where you do your training, I mean, all three of you have got set study days that you go to and you get to meet up with other trainees that are either on your scheme and sometimes on your neighbouring scheme. But how does that work on the longitudinal programme? Um, so the study days are just like DFT study days. Um, we were paired off with our immediate scheme, the longitudinal guys, and also a small South Yorkshire scheme as well. Um, but we had all the DFT study days in the first year of my training, and then all the DCT study days I'm doing now in my second year of training. Um, so that is a bit annoying because you're doing the DCT job for a whole year before you get any of the study days, which would help you with the job. Um, it just requires a little bit more organization and um, kind of at home learning if you want to thrive in DCT without those study days, I think. 
Sure, I expect that that kind of adds to the baptism of fire that you were talking about at the beginning. But even though you don't get those DCT study days in year one, I mean, presumably there is teaching and support within the hospital? Um, Yes, we have teaching every Monday lunchtime. It probably varies trust on trust, um, but the registrars are really helpful. Um, Other colleagues are always helpful. And if they're on hand, people are really willing to show you their knowledge, which is great. Um, never be afraid to ask questions because sometimes the surgeons are always so busy doing their thing that they forget that you're there to learn as well. And they are happy to teach you as long as you ask for help. Um, and there is also some teaching on weekends and lunch times. It's just when you're doing a week on a week off scheme, like the longitudinal scheme, you do sometimes miss out on key parts of teaching, which is a shame. Right. So it's it's got its benefits, but it's got its challenges as well. And Afreen, how did your study days work? So um, we basically, so on the North London scheme, my study days were at the Eastman. But one of the real benefits, I think, of doing a London and Kent, Surrey, Sussex DFT is there's also lots of joint study days, which are the entire deanery. Um, So that's potentially like 120 people that you've got that you can kind of connect with and chat to. Um, So that was really, really great. But the ones where it was just our scheme, like I said, they would be at the Eastman. The other big ones would be at some kind of central London location, a hotel, something like that. Um, And the in terms of how the study days actually were during the first term they were pretty much every week um I think the idea was that by the time it got to the third term um we would be having a lot more time in clinic so when we wouldn't have a study day we'd be in clinic of course Covid happened so uh, we didn't actually get around to that bit but I guess it worked out well because we did the bulk of our studying um before that kind of rolled around um, and in terms of study days itself, every study day would always start with a circle time, which was genuinely one of the best things. Um, I mean, definitely for my kind of mental health, it was great because you'll have a week at, in practice where there's things that you're learning, taking on board, struggling with. And then you'd get to my study days were on a Friday. So I get to the end of the week. And then I'd meet up with the rest of my scheme and genuinely, like, as you'd be listening to people, you'd just be like, yep, that's exactly what I've been going through this week. And I think having that sense of community in practice is like, it was a really helpful thing during foundation training because like when you're working in practice, it can be a bit isolating. Um, So yeah, that circle time was invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think having a group of people to talk and share your experience with is is just so important. I mean, especially if you realise that that you're all experiencing the same difficulties and you've got people that you can share that with. Were there any difficulties that you came across collectively as a group that surprised you? Um, So obviously there's kind of teething problems that everyone has and things that you'll talk about. But one thing that cropped up for pretty much everyone on my scheme, we all had to deal with some level of language barrier. 
in communicating with patients. So for example, my practice was in Edmonton. There's a very big Turkish population there. And a lot of the patients I treat just genuinely don't speak English, like not a word of English. It's meant I've been able to pick up a few Turkish phrases um, by people being there helping translate. Um, but genuinely, like when I started, that was something that I don't think I necessarily anticipated having to do that volume of work working through things like consent um, and also just really trying to build rapport with the patient when they do not understand a word that you say is a big learning curve. Um, but yes, we had like, there were people, most people would come with someone to translate for them. But you also had like Google, you can try and look up Google Translate. My practice had this little um, card, um, like basically a set of cards with key like dental phrases in different languages. Um, so that was a really big learning curve, but I think it's a really great thing to have in your arsenal, like learning how to communicate with someone when you take away that base level of being able to understand what each other are saying. Sure. Um, and that was pretty universal. I mean, is that still an issue where you're working in East London now, the um, language barrier? Yes. So, well, so it's not an issue for me, but it's a very important part. Um, essentially, where I'm working in East London, there's a massive Bengali population. I speak Bangla, so um, it's been absolutely invaluable being able to communicate with these people because a lot of the patients I have honestly like do not speak any English and have turned around and they've, they've come to the appointment it's the first time they've seen me they didn't know that I'd be able to speak Bangla and then at the end of the appointment they've turned around and just been like so appreciative of the fact that they have been informed about their own oral health in a way that they understand um and I had a lady who essentially was just like I I can't read or write um and the fact that I've been able to chat to you has genuinely made my day because if I go out and about there's really a lot of the time that I can't communicate with people and I think obviously for me this works out with Bangla but I feel like somewhere like London and so many like anywhere in the UK we live in a global population right now and there's so much diversity and I think having the ability to communicate in different languages is such an asset really really good absolutely we've talked about study days in london and leeds but obviously the highlands is a huge geographical area megan how did it work with getting all the trainees together with your study days so yeah it's obviously a very large area some being in islands as well so our study days unlike most other study days were in a block so it wasn't once a week it was once a month and it'd be three days so wednesday thursday friday and everybody would get together. So what tended to happen was if you stayed, for example, Isle of Skye or the Stornoway, kind of basically 90 minutes outside of Inverness, which was quite a lot of my colleagues, you got put up in a hotel. So you would come for the week um, for three days into Inverness and we would all kind of go every day to the education centre. So I stayed in Inverness uh, centre itself. So I wasn't put up in a hotel, but it meant that you could all come together and people who were maybe more so not isolated, but felt they didn't have the same kind of demographic of colleagues. Maybe they were just in the practice with the principal and their other colleagues. They could all come down from Sky and Stornoway and we could all um, socialise. So 
it meant you had a running three days a month. You knew you were going to get, get together, go for dinner, have a chat. It was really nice. And I, I think it's really great. I mean, the, in your story that the practice that you've had such a positive year at, um, although it wasn't your first choice, that actually, given your time again, you would have chosen that as your first choice, would you? Yeah, no, definitely. I think in hindsight, totally. I think when you, it's the same as saying at the start, when you graduate in the one city, when you've been brought up in the one city, you just, you want to stay there and yeah, it's great, but you don't realise what other opportunities there is. And going back, I would apply to that practice. I think in Scotland, particularly the central belt, there's a lot of demand for those jobs and for the highlands and things like that. So neglected by candidates, not a lot of people want to go up there unless they're from there, their families are there, but it's really great practices. And I had two trainers in my practice and they're both really experienced trainers. So it was a great job, lots of support. And I think in some instances, I probably had a better year than some of my colleagues did who were in Glasgow, for example. Yeah, I think that's that's wonderful. What a great experience. And, you know, I think actually that can often happen anywhere in the UK. I mean, I remember as a TPD, the first time one of my trainers were told that they were going to be given somebody through the clearing process. And they were really concerned that actually that individual was going to require extra support. And how are they going to factor that into their own clinical time? When in fact, it turned out that that trainee was one of the strongest that we had on the scheme. So I think as deflating as it is, when you don't get that first place, it's important to remember that your ranking doesn't determine the type of year you experience or, you know, or the fun you're going to have. Megan, what do you think the experience in Inverness has given you compared to what it might have been if you'd stayed in Glasgow? I think it's just broadened my understanding and kind of different aspects of dentistry. So demographic is different in Glasgow to Inverness. You've got different aspects. So obviously Glasgow's a big metropolitan city, lots of secondary and tertiary care, a large dental school. Whereas Inverness, there's no dental school. There's secondary and tertiary care, but it's on a much smaller level. So you don't have the same referral pathways as you would in a kind of central uh, city. So it definitely made me want to try and treat a lot of patients, maybe try more before I would think about referring certain things if I thought I could, especially children, if I thought I could manage them um, or at least try and practice, I would always give it a try first. Whereas I think working in kind of my last year was working in a dental hospital in Glasgow and a lot of the referrals I would get in would be things I would have tried to do maybe up in Inverness, but because there's more of a readily readily available pathway in Glasgow and central areas, I think people are more likely to defer. But I think it's just added to my patient management skills, my diagnosis skills, uh, even just restorative and things like that. It makes you try more, which in, in the end makes you a better dentist because you've attempted things, you know what's went right, what's went wrong, your kind of limits as well. So definitely helped in that terms. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose you're trying those things that other people might not in a supported environment because you've got your educational supervisor there with you. Exactly. And both of my trainers, as I say, are very experienced, experienced in kind of oral surgery and restorative dentistry, cosmetic stuff. So it was really good to just watch them do some things. It was a bit of a private and NHS practice. So I could go in for sessions and watch my trainers do cosmetic work and things like this. And it was really, it was really good. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Now, a big part of training is assessments. Um, and I think that can come to us as a surprise to some undergraduates when you kind of think that you've qualified, you've got to the end of it, and then you realise that actually in foundation of vocational training, there's a big part of it is more assessments. Lucy, what were the different types of assessments in for the foundation training part of your longitudinal scheme? And how does that work compared to other people that are just on the one year? Um, our, our assessments are quite similar, to be honest. Um, everything is based on the e-portfolio. Um, and then we have to do a certain number of adepts, which are sort of assessed like they're directly observing you doing treatment on a patient and then they give you feedback on that. So you have to do a certain number of those and then case-based discussions you have to do a certain number of, and that's just discussing interesting or complex cases with your trainer. Um, and there's also a little element of um, more clinical governance type things, which are audits or multi-source feedback or patient satisfaction questionnaires. Um, so there's just a few things to tick off. And I think it's quite similar for all foundation dentists and it's all centralized on the e-portfolio. So it's it's just something you've just got to chip away at. It's no different for us than anyone else, apart from we have to do fewer things each month because it's stretched over two years. And you said that your study days for foundation training all happen in the first year, but the two big points of assessment, the IRCP and the FRCP at the end of the normal year, how does does that happen all in the first year for you as well? Um, no, so we do our IRCP at the end of first year. Um, that's when all the other normal foundation dentists have their FRCP. So that's around sort of June time. And then we do our FRCP, which is at the end of the two year scheme. And that sort of coincides with satisfactory completion for DCT. So that's quite a stressful time. Everything comes at once, um, but we do have longer to work towards it. Right. So yeah, really, I can imagine that's really quite stressful at the end, trying to get all of that together in, in one go. And Afreen, what about the clinical requirements? Can you tell us what was expected of you and, and did you feel confident in meeting those expectations? Yeah, so in terms of clinical requirements, um, we essentially had targets for, we had a set number of UDAs we had to do, we had a certain number of crowns, fillings, RCTs, extractions, um, and that all kind of fed into, we had to do a certain amount by IRCP, and then depending on how on track we were, that then basically we had to get everything done by FRCP, but there were like touching points in between. Um, and our TPDs and ESs would always kind of touch base if they were concerned someone was falling behind or something like that. Um, in terms of how confident I felt, I feel very, very lucky. My I had two educational supervisors um, and genuinely they were so supportive like I remember starting my training and they would literally just block off an entire afternoon and if I needed them they would be there they'd literally be like sitting in the staff room like probably doing some e-portfolio stuff um but the like the minute that I needed them they'd be there they talked through especially for me like molar at RCT I, I had many uh, anxiety and sleepless night over molar RCTs um but I think having that level of support and supervision particularly in the beginning meant that as the year 
went on like realistically by January time I was feeling a lot more confident in making independent decisions I would of course run things by them if there was something I was stuck on because that's what they're there for um but I felt a lot more confident my list was becoming busier um and I think the fact that I was feeling more confident in what I was doing I was seeing more patients I felt like I was doing treatment I was understanding the treatment better and therefore I was doing it more efficiently um and kind of doing that meant I didn't really have to worry that much about the actual targets and quotas because they came naturally I was in a very high needs area so in terms of patient flow there were loads there was just loads of treatment to do um so yeah I there are clinical targets on the surface it can be very daunting um but yeah I I felt confident doing it and I think taking that time at the beginning of the year to be like these are all the things that I really don't feel comfortable with and just do like for anyone listening just don't be afraid to ask your educational supervisor that's literally what they're there for um so yeah it was really good yeah I think that's I think that's really good advice I mean that's that is what your educational supervisors are there for. And if you can invest that time in asking as many questions as you can, as you clearly did, and they invested that time in you right at the beginning, then it sounds like when COVID hit, unfortunately, in the middle of your training, that you were at least in a strong position to clearly go out and and now you're working as a as an associate. So it's obviously, you know, given you a really safe foundation to move forward, which is great. Megan, unlike the rest of the UK, I mean, Scotland is fee per item rather than the UDA system. Do the assessments and quotas for vocational training, do you think they differ to the rest of the UK? Yes, so obviously fee per item, we don't have kind of quotas to meet with UDAs, etc. So it's a lot of just, you have observed procedures, so we called them LEPs instead of DOPs. Um, to have its own procedures throughout and there wasn't so much of a quota you had to do in amalgams per se it was more you had to hit specific kind of general targets so restorative extractions and things like this you'd had them the whole way through the year and you would have your own trainer doing them for you as well as external trainers so either your ES or um, kind of trainers from other practices would come and do external reps for you you would then do things like MSFs, so multi-source feedback from your team, as well as patient feedback and questionnaires. Uh, you did audit. Uh, in Scotland, we have quality improvement projects as well, so we could do those. In my year, we did a joint uh, quality improvement project um, as part, like the whole scheme to did it, together did it, so that was quite useful. Um, but it's quite similar. I mean, the only things I would say that are different are the UDA scheme, so it's a wee bit different when you're working in Scotland, but you definitely pick it up. What the one big difference that um, that I think we spoke about before was the test of knowledge that you yeah. have to do in Scotland, because I know that that's something that you don't have to do in the rest of the UK. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so test of knowledge is an exam you sit at the end of VT. It basically enables you to be able to work and get a list number in Scotland uh, to work in NHS dentistry. So it's an exam that's computerised about 30 minutes long and you set, uh, it's a generated bank of questions, but it's essentially on the 
SDR, which is the Scottish Dental Remuneration Scheme, which is what all NHS dentistry in Scotland is based on. So it basically gives you your ifs and buts as to how you can perform NHS dentistry. Um, exam on that to make sure you understand the process of it. Examination on just the acts um, in Scotland. So making sure you're familiar with litigation um, and acts and procedures that are relevant to NHS dentistry. Um, you get more than one chance to sit it. So it worked that you sit it on one day of the scheme at the end of the year. You all sit down and do the exam. If you don't pass it, you get to do it, I think, about three or four times until you pass. Um, but anybody doing, if they want to come up to Scotland to work and get an NHS list number, they have to sit this test of knowledge. Um, it's not, it's okay. It's just part of the package, really. And you just, your scheme are all really good at going through it with you, giving you the bank of questions and helping you revise for it. So if you feel ready to set it when you're able. That's really reassuring to hear. And obviously very important for anyone considering applying to or working in Scotland. Now that you've all been through this process, is there anything that you've learnt that you wish you knew before you applied? Lucy, let's start with you. So I wish I'd le learnt that um, we didn't have a meet and greet for our scheme. Um, I think that's variable across the whole country and maybe even Scotland too. Um, but So we didn't get to meet our practice or indeed the hospital team at all before we started. So that was a bit of potluck there. Um, worked out quite nicely for me, but yeah, it would have nice to have been able to meet the practice and the team beforehand. And two years is a long time to be in a place if you haven't had a chance to see them, meet them, check that you're comfortable there. So it is a big commitment to almost going in blind there. Um, and then, like I said, uh, there's plenty of good things about the longitudinal scheme. Um, but one of the main benefits is you're there for two years and particularly in primary care, um, if you have high caries risk patients, which I had plenty of, you see them a lot. You see them sort of six to eight times and you get to build some really good rapport there with them. And it also gives you a chance to um, almost review your bite wings, review your fillings and just see if you've missed something or see what's gone wrong, see what's gone right. And it does help you become a bit more reflective, I think. That's a really big advantage. And I think having the opportunity, particularly at the beginning of your career, to be able to review your own work is such an important learning process. And obviously by being there for two years as part of a longitudinal scheme, you've got a greater opportunity to do that. Afreen, what is it that you know now that you wish you knew before you applied? So I think the change in environment from university to practice is huge. Um, and I think when I was at university, I was very aware that clinically there were things I would have to grow in. But being in practice as a foundation dentist, now as an associate, you're, I was so aware of how accountable I was Yes, in a clinical way, you are accountable for your clinical decisions. As a foundation dentist, you have support from your educational supervisor in the deanery. But as an associate, you know, to a degree, the buck stops with you. But I think one of the things that I didn't anticipate understanding or appreciating is how accountable I am for my own career path. Um, 
while you're at university, you know, you go to school, people can do other degrees and come to dentistry, but you know, you do this five year course, you then are doing some kind of recruitment to do your vocational foundation training. And you're always on this like ladder of the next step. And now as an associate, I'm like, well, I get to pick what the next step is. There's not like, I mean, yes, I could choose to go and do DCT at some point. I could choose to specialize at some point, but actually it's up to me to decide what I want to do. I can pick what course I want to do, whether I want to have a special interest in something. And that's something that I genuinely didn't fully appreciate before doing foundation training, because I thought I would have wanted to do DCT. But actually, I really liked practice. And that's why I decided to be an associate. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a really interesting point. It's about moving from a safe beginner to an independent, but not just practitioner, an independent person that's going to make you know their own their own choices about their own career. I really also came to understand it's really not about the geography; it's about the people. And I think hopefully like listening to all of us speaking and like speaking to other people that have gone through the process you you will get good training wherever you go there will be obviously variants in it but it's actually the people that make it fun and that's the thing that gets you through when the bits are tough um and yeah it's it's all about the people yeah, I think it's interesting, I suppose, because it's the one thing that actually, you know, we've been talking about, you can pick the areas, you can pick which areas you want to to rank in what order, but actually the people is something that you've got very little control over because you can't, you know, you can work out your schemes, you can work out your potential commutes, but you don't know always who will be on that scheme with you. yeah that that's not in anyone's control but I think wherever you are you will find people you click with if it's not someone in your practice if you don't get on with your ES or you're not getting on with the staff there it might be your TPD it might be people on your scheme and also the patients like ultimately that's part of what motivates me to do my job it's interacting with the different people I interact with and even if you're having a bit of a rough year you will get those patients that come in and that make you think actually dentistry is really quite good um and yeah I think 100% you can't control everyone that you're going to meet but you will find people that will make the experience worthwhile sure Finally, Megan, what's been the most eye-opening thing for you or the one thing that you wish you could go back and tell yourself at the application stage? So probably very similar leading on from what we're just talking about there. Don't be afraid to look into different areas. Don't tie yourself down geographically just because in your head it's an ideal situation. Whatever you go to do clinical dentistry, if it's a different demographic, a different area, you'll learn so much from it and it only make you a better clinician overall. Um, it adds to all your experience and don't be afraid to expand your horizons. Don't be afraid to move away from your family or if you've not got anybody there with you, because again, you will meet people, you'll get a bubble, you'll have support in the group and the scheme that you're in and from your ES and everybody else. So it's a positive year and it's a year to learn and to gain experiences. So you might as well 
make it a year where you're well supported. Yeah, that, that's so true. And I think it's clear talking to all of you that although your locations and the timings of your study days, they might be different, you've all had actually very similar structures and assessments. I really liked when you said, Afreen, that it's the people and not the geography. And and I think it's actually, if I look at the many years that I've spent working with foundation dentists, you know, I can testify that a lot of it comes down to actually what you as an individual are prepared to put in. And the more proactive you are, the more questions you ask, the more you make use of the network of supervisors that are available to you, the more you're bound to get out of it. And I really hope that any future foundation trainees or vocational trainees that are listening to this have, have found it useful and feel much more comfortable, informed and aware of, of how it all works and what to expect. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to my guests, Afreen Rahman, Lucy Alderson and Megan Shankland. I wish you all the very best for the future. Thank you so much. Bye. Been so great to speak to you all. Thank you. Goodbye, thank you. This is Chairside, Conversations on Careers in Dentistry, a podcast for the British Dental Association. If you like this episode, please check out the others in this series. And to find your perfect job in dentistry, head over to bdjjobs.com.